And welcome to Long Story Short, the Future Cities podcast from Arcadis. I'm Emma Nelson, and we're heading to the Midlands for the third in a special series on the Arcadis Sustainable Cities Index. Birmingham sits at number 36 out of 100. We'll hear about a hefty list of priorities for the city, with inequality one of the big challenges. So 40% of our children live in poverty, and that can't be right. A third of our children are not school-ready by the age of five. That is a ticking time bomb. And we'll find out why a new plan for the city could be its most ambitious yet. You know, nothing like this, of this scale and magnitude, has been done in the last hundred years. That's all ahead on Long Story Short, the Future Cities podcast from Arcadis. Today our focus turns to Birmingham, a city transformed beyond recognition in the last three decades. I went for a walk with the Chief Executive of Birmingham City Council, Deborah Cadman, and Arcadis City Executive for Birmingham and the West Midlands, Simon Marks. Midlanders, born and bred, they took great pride in showing me paradise, an ambitious redevelopment in the heart of the city. The old, brutalist library, replaced by bright offices, lovely restaurants and a sense of space. You've taken us to paradise. Where, where are we and what are we doing? Paradise is a major development zone. It's delivering genuinely, globally recognised, high-quality office space, uh, really, really putting Birmingham on the map. And if I told you before Paradise uh, was born, there was an inverted ziggurat, which was our old brutalist library, um, built in the 1960s, I think, uh, that had to go to make way for what is now paradise. But just tell us what we can see now. Um, The sun is shining, you've got amazing public uh, realm, you've got fantastic commercial office buildings, you've got HSBC's uh, headquarters for their retail banking arm, you've got people walking around, um, you've got green space, you've got trees, you've got the Hall of Memory in the centre, and what you don't see is cars. What you do see is a metro. Deborah, growing up here, I mean, would you have imagined that your city would look like it does today? No, I would never have imagined that the city would grow and develop in the way in which it's developed. And I do mourn the loss of the library because that was... The, I, I can remember having a conversation with you, Simon. That was where we did our courting, wasn't it? Well, not, not together. No, well, no, 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 not no, together, no, 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 not, not, not together. We but, had the table but, next to each other. Yeah. The, the overriding emotion is pride, actually. Birmingham ranked 36th in the Arcadis Sustainable Cities Index, a piece of research which ranks 100 cities in terms of environment, economy and social factors. Well, having left the streets and headed to the 16th floor of 103 Colmore Row, a dazzling new development in Arcadis Birmingham headquarters, I sat down with Simon and Deborah, and Simon began by talking a bit more about the Sustainable Cities Index. Um, What it actually is, is an in-depth analysis of urban sustainability. It ranks 100 world cities, and there's a whole range of metrics and indicators, uh, and they fall under three distinct headings, people, planet, and profit. And combined together, that's all about prosperity and it's all about the quality of life. But as I say, for me, it's more than just ranking cities and going, well, where did you score? It's about, well, how can I move from, for Birmingham uh, as an example, from 36 up to top 10 within the next 20 years? What are the levers I need to pull in order to make that happen? Tell us a little bit about why you think that Birmingham's at 36, because 
the report suggests that while Birmingham isn't doing anything wrong, it's it needs to really step up in, in terms of those three elements that you spoke about. I know with what's happened in Birmingham over the last 12 to 18 months, we would already be punching higher and harder than 36 because we're on an accelerating trajectory. So so it's not we wouldn't just be growing as every other city is growing. We're on this exponential growth curve, so we will be overtaking cities. So what did Birmingham do well and what does Birmingham need to do to bump itself up the charts? Birmingham does uh, a range of things well. It's it's great in terms of its green spaces. It's got good air quality. We've got the clean air zone uh, in operation. And we've got uh, a low exposure to uh, environmental risk. And I think the other bit for me is it's got the three pillars in balance, a little bit like a graphic equaliser from when I was a, a youngster. Um, you try and get your... your age, I know, I know, giving it away again. But you try and get things in balance, don't you, to create the perfect sort of tone, the perfect music. Well, Birmingham's got that graphic equaliser just right for the perfect city. But it also has a real benefit because it's affordable. When you mean the graphic equaliser, how does that translate into the way that you experience your city every day? What it means is that there's, because no one pillar stands out, Birmingham isn't a place where people just come to make a load of money and then go somewhere else. So they can come and they can enjoy green spaces and clean air. They can earn a good living and, and, and have a career. They can they can train in a whole range of, of, of skills, professions, uh, trades, etc., and also, you know, enjoy living in a in a city that's got uh, more Michelin-styled restaurants than anywhere outside of London, that's got a great uh, quality of, of offer in terms of the housing, albeit, again, work to be done there. But it starts with that equal balance, as I say, about what it's like to live in a place. What we now need to do is make sure we push all three pillars up at the same time. What we don't want to do is go for a smash and grab, suddenly become hugely profitable, but at the expense of everything else, that's not the way to go. How do you stop that from happening? So you implement something like the Future City Framework, because the Future City Framework is all about inclusive green growth. then went on to tell me about a new plan called Our Future City, Central Birmingham Framework 2040. Arcadis was the lead consultant on this. It's a regeneration scheme to make the city greener and healthier. So we've just launched the vision for how we we are going to completely revolutionise the way this city looks and feels and delivers for residents of this brilliant city. That sounds incredibly ambitious, but... From the 16th floor, where we are sitting right now, it looks as if Birmingham has undergone an unrecognisable amount of change in the last three decades. There are buildings that have sprung up which have brought this city together in a way that is absolutely breathtaking. What is it that you want to do now? We want to enable people to be different in the way in which they live, so the houses and homes that they live in. We want to enable people to move about the city, in, out and around the city differently. So how they travel, how they walk, how they cycle, uh, with a mind to net zero, of course. So we want to encourage more people to use public transport or to walk or to cycle and have less reliance 
on the car. How are you going to do that? Because the way that the centre of the city is configured as well from the 1960s is it still very much carries the legacy of the fact that it was the motor manufacturing Mm. hub and was very much built to celebrate that. So the essence of Birmingham city centre will will remain. It, It is about looking at the inner ring road, which has always been a collar uh, and a constraint to growth and development in the city. And we want to do something quite amazing and phenomenal. So we want to green that uh, inner ring road. How are you going to do that? With effort, time, resources. But, but we're literally going to take out the car and introduce walking and cycling and green. We're going to green it up. So it will be the most amazing way to walk around, walk, cycle and move around the city. Speaking of making the city green, you rank pretty well in the Arcadis Sustainable Cities Index. You came in at 36. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I, it's, I, it's not good enough. I mean, com- comparatively, but I fully accept what, when we make visible changes to the way in this city operates and works and moves and lives... I would hope to see us accelerating up that index. How has the city changed for you as a person since you since you grew up here? It's unrecognisable. I mean, there is still that sense of home uh, about the city, and I will always be a Birmingham City football fan. But but it has changed out of recognition. It's cleaner. It's um, you're able to to move about it better. Better quality of life for people. But I still think there needs to be better opportunities for people who are born and grow up in this city. There's still massive inequality here, isn't there? Huge. And it's not acceptable. So 40% of our children live in poverty, and that can't be right. A third of our children are not school-ready by the age of five. That is absolutely not right. That is a ticking time bomb. So that those are our future. So we've got to ensure that every pound that is spent in this city... The benefit of that is felt by the people who live here. Give me an example of how you're going to go about that. Because when you think that four out of ten children who are maybe going to school, maybe not going to school right this minute, are born on the wrong side of luck, how do you as a chief executive go about and grasp that nettle? What do you do? So you've got to be really intentional about it. The change isn't going to come around by serendipity. So every investment that we make in this city... We've got to be clear about the social value and the social benefit of that investment. So Lend-Lease will invest ultimately over £2 billion in this city, in Smithfield. So the conversation we're having with them right now is if you are with us for at least 10, 15 years, we want to make sure that the people that you employ to build, the electricians, the carpenters, we want you to recruit locally. We want you to work with our local colleges, to put on the right curriculum, et cetera, et cetera. And then we want to work with you to ensure that schools and school children understand what the opportunities are. Simon, tell us about the Future City Framework and where you got your ideas from. This is something that has been co-designed, co-developed with the people of Birmingham. It's built around a whole range of themes, greening the city, active travel, a city of centres, a city of knowledge and innovation, a city of layers. 
And these themes run throughout the document. They run throughout the framework and the delivery plans that sit there. But I think the really, really important bit, you know, nothing like this, of this scale and magnitude has been done in the last 100 years. It's a fact. And the example I'd use is what's called BIQ, Birmingham Innovation Quarter. Now, this is a joint venture between Aston University, Birmingham City Council and Bruntwood SciTech. So you've got the public sector, the private sector and the academic sector coming together to transform a part of the city, uh, which is in and around and beyond Aston University, but really, really powerfully at the heart of the ambition is socio-economic regeneration. So Nietzsche's, which is one of the uh, most disadvantaged areas of Birmingham, is absolutely adjacent to Aston University. How do we make sure the benefits are felt by the people of Nietzsche's, the opportunities are felt by the communities of Nietzsche's? And we will do that not only through job opportunities and training, but also through the infrastructure that we put in that will connect them into BIQ and the city centre. Tell me how you're going to get people on board with this, because... Nobody likes change unless they can see a real benefit to them. And persuading people that you're going to get rid of cars in the middle of Birmingham city centre, that's not going to be an easy sell. Lots of people are going to get very cross about that. I genuinely think lots of things that improve the quality of life, they're not easy. You know, making big decisions, bold decisions, delivering on visions, it's brave. Not everybody's going to be happy. But ultimately, at the heart of the framework that's been put together, it's about inclusive growth for all. So the benefits of that, and again, that's something we're quite passionate about, is talking about the benefits, not talking about necessarily every sort of nut and bolt as to what we're going to do, but what are the benefits going to mean? So this is about true partnership for the benefit of the citizens and the communities. I feel really confident and positive about it because everyone that's been involved in pulling this plan together to shape how this city is going to be a wonderful global city in 10, 15 years is is just really reassuring and exciting. What excites you the most about the plan? It's the intention, actually, and the commitment. So, so our ambition is to have more trees than Paris, to become as green as Vienna and as cycle-friendly as Copenhagen. But more specifically, the plan has the potential to create 74,000 new jobs, and that's an 80% increase in the city centre's current employment capacity. But it is, it is about yeah, attracting inward investment, businesses to come and relocate and grow in this city. How are you going to pay for all this? Well, it won't be the city council on its own, although we're working differently and innovatively to use what we've got better. So we're an asset-rich council that owns a lot of land and buildings, and we need to be better at the way in which we do that and more creative. But more importantly, it is about creating an environment where the private sector want to come and invest. What would you be telling little Deborah now about how Birmingham is going to look like in 20, 30, 40 years? It, it will be a global city where you will be proud to live, work and visit. 
One thing Birmingham's particularly proud of is last summer's Commonwealth Games. Across 15 venues, one and a half million tickets were sold to see 19 different sports. It put the city on the world stage. And what's more, it all had to happen at the last minute, after problems with the original host, Durban, meant Birmingham had to step in with little notice. Deborah told me just what it involved. You know, it was extraordinary. We we did the most extraordinary thing in this city. We mobilised the whole city through volunteering, through social value, to training local people, to opening the city up to the world. And that has had a seismic shift in the way in which people feel about their city. That sense of pride and commitment was just palpable and it endures today. It placed Birmingham on a global stage. It did. And you shone. And I remember coming up for the badminton and thinking, this city knows what it's doing here. And this city has a slight confidence in its step now. How do you seize that moment? I mean, there is always that risk, isn't it? That you have that one gorgeous moment in the spotlight and then the cameras pack up and go, the athletes pack up and go, the guests go back home and you're left with what? What do you do? How do you capitalise on that? So before any athlete stood on that track in Alexander Stadium. We spent time, effort and energy being really intentional about the legacy that we wanted to see as a result of the Commonwealth Games. So our legacy programme is clear, it's robust, it's intentional. And we always knew that we c- it couldn't just be 11 days of sport. It, it just couldn't be, because the opportunity to do so much more was right in our hands. And I think we've grasped that and we've got a very clear legacy programme now that I'm very proud of. Simon, tell me a little bit about what Arcadis' view is of something like the Commonwealth Games and what it could do to Birmingham. One of the really, really important messages about the Commonwealth Games is Birmingham delivered, we delivered on our commitments. You were called in at the last minute, weren't you, to rescue the Games? Yeah, I mean, in effect, the reality was Birmingham was given four years to deliver the Games and that Games typically take seven to eight years to deliver. You just know people out there were looking, going, well, we're just waiting for you to trip up. You know, Birmingham, you're not going to do it, are you? And we stood there on the day, on the opening ceremony, loud and proud. And actually, do you know what? We didn't just deliver on time. We delivered within budget. There was money left over. And and Deborah talked a bit about the legacy. Some of that underspend, uh, as well as other monies, but some of that underspend has gone towards the legacy. Mm. You you tell me, you know, anybody tell me any other city that has achieved mm. what Birmingham did. The effects of the legacy programme are felt in places like the suburb of Perrybar, the site of a huge regeneration project of around a thousand homes. Darren Clark is from Arcadis, lead consultant on the project. What the Commonwealth Games has given the local community is an excellent opportunity to drive much more inclusive growth, to try and tackle the inequalities that have existed in this area for many, many years. So that economic boost, new housing, a new school located nearby, improved transport connections, will go an awful long way to serve the community for many, many generations to come. What made it work so well? We were absolutely clear that we needed the best people working on the Commonwealth Games. So... We bought in real experts. Um, We did all the stuff you needed to do about clear business cases. We were able to demonstrate the benefit of doing certain things. So so when, when we started on the Commonwealth Games, there was no city dressing at all in the budget. And and when you came to Birmingham, you will have felt 
this city through the way in which we presented it to the world, through the city dressing, through the flower towers, you know, that stuff that added that extra pizzazz. What is it about Birmingham that means that you can get things done? So when you look out of the window, a lot of the work that is now in train started many, many years ago. And and I think that's one of the things that people don't always recognise or acknowledge. This stuff takes years and in some cases a generation to see to fruition. So I do stand on the shoulders of giants who made those very difficult decisions a long time ago. I recall three or four days before the opening ceremony being invited to a dinner uh, at the Grand Hotel. There were about 14 people around that table. It was all the key stakeholders from the sort of chief of police to the transport exec to the artistic director. What that table demonstrated to me was that it was the collaboration of those stakeholders, the selflessness, the games first, organisation second, that actually underpin the success and delivery of those games. You're absolutely right. And and one of the things I did want to talk about was this sense of collaboration in the city across public, private, community, voluntary. And my starting point always is this is not a zero-sum game. And actually, it's not about us. It's not about us, is it? This is about the city, its people, the people who work here, its investors, you know, and collectively how we work together to make that better. Is it something in the water here, Deborah, that makes you actually put yourself to one side and look at a city and think, actually, this is a bigger picture that we need to focus on? Or are you just a nice bunch of people? Uh, well, well, I think, I think we're a bunch of people who, who all want the same thing and are prepared to be quite brave about making decisions and commitments and then, you know, being a little bit curious about things and a little bit disruptive and then coming together again to say, OK, we've explored this, we've sense-checked it, we understand what the challenges are, but this is how we all need to work collectively to make it happen. Back out in paradise, the weather was bright. I asked Simon if the sun always shines in Birmingham. Well, it does when it's not raining. And that's the way you have to think about it. And in fact, I, I, I kid you not, my, my American colleagues, uh, whenever I speak to them on one of our conference calls, when we bring our global city execs together, my opening line is, well, the sun is shining in Birmingham. If you just look around you, you think about people. And what do we see? People going about their lives, enjoying, you know, absolutely fantastic quality of the built environment. You think about planet. So you've got buildings here. Um, They are decarbonised buildings. We're achieving that net zero carbon commitment that has been made, the target uh, for the city being 2030. And profit, so that's about commerce. And actually, when you look around, what have we got? We've got grade A offices with some amazing businesses. What you're seeing is that prosperity. Simon Marks there, Arcadis City Executive for Birmingham and the West Midlands, talking to me there in Birmingham. And my thanks also to the Chief Executive of the City Council, Deborah Cadman. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. If you enjoyed it and you want to get a copy of your Arcadis Sustainable Cities Index, then just head to arcadis.com where you can download it. And make sure you subscribe too. You'll find fresh podcasts all to do with the future of our cities, our communities and their recovery popping up regularly at arcadis.com. You've been with Long Story Short, the Future Cities podcast from Arcadis. I'm Emma Nelson. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. (music) 